must understand Though the touch of your hand Makes my pulse react That it's only the thrill Of boy meeting girl I put sense on track It's physical It's only logical You must try to ignore That it means more than that Good evening, ladies and gentlemen You're in for quite a treat tonight We haven't seen this incredible woman Perform in the Big Apple for the past ten years So please put your hands together For her Ritz debut Miss Tina Turner Welcome to Broadway Radios this week on Broadway for Sunday, November 10th, 2019. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His columns appear at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many of the places. Good morning, Peter. Good morning. Good morning. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at filespotphoto.com. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Good morning. So uh, coming up this Saturday night, November 16th at 54 Below, we have 54 Loves Cast Albums, which is uh, part of the launch of the new website, castalbumreviews.com. Michael, is this going to take up much of your week this week? Yeah, it is. But also, I mean, honestly, not this is not marketing. This is not hype. I think it's just going to be an amazing show. I have not yet had a chance to be there for um, the rehearsals of Penny Fuller and Anita Gillette. But Michael Levine, our musical director, <laughs> has worked with them. And he said that, you know, they're just better than ever. They're both so wonderful on stage. But I did get to be there for uh, we had a rehearsal yesterday with three of the other cast members. Um, and Bill Hutton is going to come in and do two songs from Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And he sounds basically the same as he did. Oh. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, just that beautiful, beautiful voice uh, still singing in the same key. Uh, and then I <laughs> Martin Vidnovic came in and, you know, I mean, I, I just kind of came of age with him on, on seeing him on Broadway for starting with the King and I, I guess as Lunta and then Brigadoon and, uh, Oklahoma. So he came in and I wanted him to do, I asked him to do lonely room from Oklahoma. I thought that that would be nice, especially since it's back on Broadway and, and Oklahoma was for all intents and purposes, the original, original cast album. Mm-hmm. So he rehearsed it. And I, the, the walls were shaking in 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 Michael Levine's studio. It's just it's just absolutely thrilling. And then also originally Marty was going to just do that number because uh, I didn't know how many people were going to be in the show. But then we re- recalibrated things, and he's also going to do two songs from Baby. So uh, that'll be great. And then Matthew Drinkwater. Um, is this in fact incredible new talent who's going to sing uh, in celebration of the anniversary of Grand Hotel? He's going to do Love Can't Happen, and then he's going to do, uh, I think, a a little tribute to old and new cast albums. So he's going to do 
Oklahoma into Hades Town. Uh, and uh, how yeah, are you and, fitting all of this in an hour? <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, yes, and actually, that 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 brings up a point I'm going to make in a moment. But uh, let, I wanted to let Peter go on first. So, Michael, that is absolutely amazing. We have so many great things happening at 54 Below. And, Peter, you have some things you wanted to mention. Oh, yeah, um, because um, we had a preview the other day of things that were coming up at uh, Studio 54's 54 Below, Feinstein's 54 Below, I guess I should say. And um, it was really quite wonderful to see um, Brian Stokes Mitchell uh, there doing a new song. Now, he could have been doing a song from a show, of course, but he's giving new songwriters a chance. And it's a song involving a wizard. That's all I'm going to say, because there's, uh, <laughs> I don't want to give too much away, but it really is a terrific song and um so if you attend his show you're going to hear that and that's going to be quite wonderful um melissa erico was there too uh doing a song by michelle legrand and she has a very nice story about what michelle legrand not only meant to her but also to her family and so it's an evening of michelle legrand and the song she's did is one that's pretty obscure so look uh, don't look for the usual suspects in this show you're going to hear a lot of new michelle new to you michelle legrand um and then of course there are the callaway sisters um, Liz and Ann Hampton. Um, it's so wonderful to see two sisters who care about each other so much. You know, of course, we have the expression uh, sibling rivalry, and they've become famous for sibling revelry, which is what they do um, because they just uh, do so well together. And they did a song that I'm only going to say uh, would please people um, – all around the world, of course, but especially in London, if you're a football fan, um, if you know anything about British football, um, soccer to us, uh, you will um, know what I'm talking about. If not, go see the show and you'll know what I'm talking about. But it's really quite wonderful. Uh, really, I know that um, Feinstein's 54 Below can be uh, pricey. I understand that. But really, especially if you're coming to New York, you owe it to yourself to go there. Uh, it's one of the most beautiful rooms in the city. And um, I, I have to say, whoever designed the lighting did a wonderful job, and uh, it makes such uh, and you really feel like you're in New York, and that's what's really quite wonderful about it. So um, here are three people, four people for that matter, who uh, really are going to do wonderful acts for you, and uh, attention must be paid. The Callaway sisters—they're pulling out the arsenal, aren't they? <laughs> so, if you're a British football fan, you know what that means. <laughs> One of, one, of Stokes, <laughs> one of Stokes' performances is right before our show on Saturday. He's uh, on the 16th at 7 p.m. He's, uh, he's up at 54 Below, and then we're right after at 9.30 with our 54 Loves cast albums. And he um, he's actually there, let's see, the 12th through the 6th. Oh, no, he's there the 12th. Uh, uh, and then he has shows through the 23rd. Uh, Melissa's show, unfortunately, is just over. I saw the last one last night. Uh, she did three of them, and it was it was just amazing. I can either talk about it now or later in the podcast, as you prefer. Oh, uh, we'll talk about Melissa in a second. Do you know if Stokes' uh, show is in support of his new Broadway Records album? Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, yes, it is. Um, what does it say here? Uh, featuring, uh, well... Featuring classic holiday favorites with fresh arrangements, along with some non-traditional surprises. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, the title is "Plays with Music mm -hmm. Dash Holiday." Yeah, so is trying, that? 
Uh, yeah. I'm not sure if that's uh, in line with his Broadway Records album release, but we're trying to get Stokes uh, lining up the schedules to get him onto Broadway Beauty to talk about it. Also, Melissa Erico's got a new uh, record at Broadway Records with Michelle Legrand's uh, music. So uh, really great stuff happening over there that ties in with the castalbumreview.com website now, doesn't it? Yes, it does. <laughs> Cast album reviews. Reviews at dot com. Yes. yes. Exactly. Got new reviews, by the way, of um, uh, Pretty Woman and uh, Tina, the mm-hmm. Tina Turner musical. So we're just adding reviews all the time. Great. So, uh, listeners, I would love you to uh, strap in and get ready for the next three and a half to four hours. We're going to talk about Eva Van Hover's West Side Story. Uh, Michael, is your head intact? Did your head explode when you saw the Vogue the Vogue uh, piece? Uh, yes, but then I uh, there was a wonderful humor piece that that someone did, and if uh, you give me a moment, I can pull it's it up. The, uh, the, the Broadway. Um, I saw – it sort of looks like a Playbill spoof site. It's like the Onion version of Broadway, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> so let me read to the uh, listeners if you're un- un- uh, unfamiliar with what we're talking about. While well, Michael looks this up, uh, there was a piece in Vogue from Adam Green, talked to Eva Van Hova, and uh, one little paragraph in there said, More controversially, the show will be trimmed to run Without an intermission by cutting somewhere ballet and I feel pretty, the changes have not only been approved by the creators of states, but in fact reflect the original desires of Sondheim, still going strong at 89, who candidly confesses, confesses in his 2010 book, Finishing the Hat, that he had long been uncomfortable with some of the lyrics in the latter song. So, um, yeah, uh, th- this isn't your mother's West Side Story. I found it. Um, This is worth a few moments if you have a few moments. Uh, Justin Ayer wrote this piece for uh, Broadway Beat, the Broadway Beat. Yeah, the Broadway Beat. Yeah, it's a spoof site. Yeah. Okay, I'll I'll start. I'll I'll land it here. Uh, You know, the supposed news story. Okay. Innovative theater director Eva Van Hova announced his changes to the highly anticipated Broadway revival of West Side Story this morning, which include removing beloved songs I Feel Pretty and the Somewhere Ballet, as well as all other songs, the character of Tony and his death, all lights and the stage itself, among other essentials. (laughs) Sources confirmed. Quote, when I went back over the script, I realized we needed to try trim the fat, but also some of the meat, said Hova, Mm -hmm. as he took a long drag from a cigarette and then a jewel. It's going to anger. <laughs> it's going to anger some, and it's going to thrill others. But that's what theater is supposed to do: piss you off and make you question if something is good and making a point, or is just kind of bad and different for no reason. He added. Judy Pearson, a diehard West Side Story fan, had already bought her tickets for the upcoming revival. "Quote: What a ripoff." I know the guy is supposed to be some genius or something, but how can you have a show if you literally don't have music? She wondered while in line looking to return her tickets. Yeah. Quote, I, I didn't even notice that my ticket said there are no seats. Everyone just stands on one leg. <laughs> is that brilliant and innovative or just a, or just kind of a dick move? She questioned. <laughs> and that goes on and on. This is hilarious. <sighs> Uh, Broadway Beat brings us uh, the website Broadway Beat the Broadway brings us a lot of uh, humor. In fact, uh, one of the other stories there says study finds you didn't see a show unless you took a selfie with the playbill over your little mouth. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, you know, in terms of this West Side Story thing, um, I have to say that uh, one of the most poignant moments um, and <laughs> arresting moments in West Side Story is when she's singing I Feel Pretty because of dramatic irony that we know something she doesn't and that is that her brother has been killed and not only has been killed but has been killed by her lover and this is really uh, an amazing thing to watch that she is so happy when we know she's going to be so devastated very very quickly now it is entirely possible we'll have the same feelings when it's done in dialogue in essence, I guess. Um, but I feel pretty after all takes two, three, four minutes, whatever it may be. And that's more uh, than enough time for it to register to us exactly how horrified she's going to be in just a few minutes. And so the song does have some real power in it um, of a very different kind than you usually see in, in, in Broadway musicals. And so um, I lament that, but I do reserve the right um, <laughs> to see what is on this director's mind, um, and it may very well turn out to be something really terrific. Who knows? Um, the other point, though, to make here is that he mentions that there's not going to be an intermission and that because everything takes place in 48 hours, and as a result, he wants that feeling of uh, that. And yet... I have to say that at the end of the first act, when we see those bodies on stage and those sirens wailing and uh, everybody else is uh, left as quickly as possible as not to be involved with the crime, uh, that's a very powerful moment. And um, seeing a curtain come down on that has always been uh, very, 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 very powerful. And yes. uh, <laughs> yeah, I, it's going to feel like to me, um, at least at this point, that um, there is a need for an intermission there. But we are in an age where uh, certainly shows are getting shorter, and uh, that may be a consideration as well. But um, I do understand the frenetic nature of uh, saying it takes place in 48 hours and um, we should have that uh, speedy feeling to it. So I do understand that. Um, but obviously, um, this is going to be a very different West Side Story. And I'm up for the challenge. Um, and I may uh, wind up spending two or three podcasts talking about how terrible it is. But at this point, <laughs> I have to give the benefit of the doubt, even though. Some of these changes sound odd. Um, so we shall see what we shall see. I made a bunch of people really angry on social media uh, because uh, I said when people are expressing their uh, outrage, upset, <laughs> upset opinions about the, these cuts being made, uh, I, I said, you know, we've had five-ish different Broadway productions and hundreds of high school and regional productions of West Side Story that we've all seen or experienced in one way or another, uh, you know, uh, why not let somebody, uh, you know, take a swing at these things and change it up a bit? We, we, don't, we seem to get less upset these days about changes made to Shakespeare and uh, other very old uh, properties. So I'm, I'm not sure what the harm is to let Eva Van Hova take a swipe at West Side Story. Yeah, well, you know, there, there, yeah, there, there are so many arguments in either direction. Uh, one other element, though, is that Leonard Bernstein and Arthur Lawrence are dead, and so is Jerome Robbins. And you know, Robbins has always been considered an author of the piece in a very, very real sense. Oh, yeah. So, so oh, regardless yeah. of of whatever Sondheim's unhappiness 
maybe with some of his own lyrics for I feel pretty. And also, you know, we, and then again, the cutting of the, the ballet for somewhere, uh, that, that is, I think, one basis for arguing that it shouldn't be done because Bernstein and – I mean certainly there were lots and lots of revivals of West Side Story within the lifetime of, of both Bernstein and Arthur Lawrence. And if they had felt – uh, at some point during all that, that, you know, um, I feel pretty was really kind of a mistake and we need to take it out. Uh, I'm sure that they, they could have done it. Uh, so I, I do think that is one argument as to why it's it's not OK to just say, well, you know, it's fine. Let them do it. Uh, and and the next show, the next production will undoubtedly have those probably back in them anyway. OK, so we will leave it to there. Uh... And I'm sure, as Peter had mentioned, we will talk about West Side Story uh, probably very much at length uh, when <laughs> this actually happens and mm-hmm. let you know uh, what we think there, uh, to, especially to let our, uh, our our listeners in Australia know that uh, whether or not they need to traverse the, the globe or half a globe to get here to New York to see this uh, thing. And what, you know, one last thing, what ramps up the interest is, of course, uh, not long after this show opens, we're going to have a new movie of West Side Story, mm. which what from what I have read actually sounds like it might be more faithful uh, to the original show. than. Oh, one thing we haven't mentioned. Production. I'm sorry. Oh, I, Michael, I'm sorry. You weren't. Oh, no, it's all right. That's it. Um, it. What we haven't mentioned uh, is that he's going to use the movie uh, version of America. Um, and yes. I think that's a terrific idea. I think that the um, movie version of America is amazingly better than the stage version of America. And I'm yes. amazed that during the uh, Philadelphia and Washington tryouts, nobody thought about that, that they didn't say, oh, it's much better with the guys and the, the women um, arguing about America rather than just have the women arguing about America um, because the guys really have much more of a, uh, a beef about what's happened in America uh, since they've been here. They've been much more victimized than the women have. And uh, so I think it adds a terrific layer. So I think I've, I've always felt um, I'm, I'm, like most people, I discovered West Side Story from the movie first mm. uh, and then the cast album. And I was amazed when I, I heard the cast album that it was just the women. Um, so um, so I'm all in favor of that. And um, I imagine Sondheim must be, too, because, of course, he wrote the new lyrics um, for the uh, number. Well, so. well no, no, Peter, I, I, I'm sure we had discussed this, uh, but apparently those were the original lyrics. Oh, is that right? I yeah, didn't... yeah. And then uh, supposedly the the reason they were cut is that um, Robbins wanted to make it an all-out dance number, and at the time he couldn't find guys uh, – the guys playing the Sharks were not – quite up to it i see so okay. yeah i had always assumed that those r- r- lyrics were written when the movie was yeah, being yeah. made right and yeah. sondheim came back and they said we want to put the guys in but apparently they were there all along and then they oh, just got their back yeah okay yeah all right so uh let's move on um before we get into the rest of the show, I want to re- uh, remind listeners that you can support us at patreon.com slash Broadway Radio, that uh, Patreon listeners get This Week on Broadway first on Sunday afternoon before it is released to the general public on Sunday evening. 
Uh, just to let everybody know, there's uh, one a slight little benefit for our uh, Patreon supporters to get us just a few hours earlier than everybody else. Uh, of course, This Week on Broadway comes out uh, weekly on Sundays, so you can get us on Sunday morning. But today on Broadway comes out Monday through Friday uh, in the mornings. Um, and if you're a Patreon listener, you get it the night before. So let's move into last week's trivia answer. Peter, get us started there. Well, um, I asked why I placed Flower Drum Song, Pearly, It's So Nice to be Civilized, The Adams Family, Pipe Dream, A Class Act, and The Wedding Singer in that order. And the reason is because Flower Drum Song has a song called Sunday. Pearly has one called First Thing Monday Morning. It's So Nice to be Civilized has a song called Terrible Tuesday. Well, Adam's Family, Wednesday's Growing Up, Pipe Dream Sweet Thursday, Class Act Fridays at 4, and The Wedding Singer Saturday Night in the City. So this one must have really gotten under Tony Janicki's skin because <laughs> he, did, he didn't answer it in his usual 16 seconds after the broadcast, but he stayed up until 3.12 in the morning to get it, and that's when he uh, sent it in. Five <laughs> hours later, Josh Israel got it, followed by Jeff Falenga, Brigadude, and Fred Abramowitz. So that was last week's question and answer, and we'll have a new trivia question at the end of the broadcast. Okay. So in our reviews section... Peter and Michael both got a chance to get down to the Dow Roth Theater to see the new group's production of Cyrano uh, with uh, Peter Dinklage of uh, Game of Thrones fame. So, uh, Peter, why don't you get us started on Cyrano? I'm going to start by talking about a very different production of Cyrano that I thought was quite brilliant that New York hasn't seen. It came from Deaf West. And uh, the issue here was not that Cyrano had a big nose. The issue was the fact that he was deaf. And that was the reason he didn't think that Roxanne could ever love him. All right, bear with me. So Christian here was not a soldier in his regiment, but his brother, his brother. And um, so as a result, he knew uh, sign language. And so what you have here is um, in that famous balcony scene that's always bothered me, that there's Christian saying, I love you, and sentiments like that that aren't very flowery, and Roxanne really wants uh, beautiful words to be said to her, that suddenly Cyrano takes over, and she doesn't know the change in the voice. <laughs> you know, that's always bothered me tremendously. I mean, she's known Cyrano since they were kids. That's been established. And she doesn't recognize his voice, or even if she doesn't recognize his voice, she doesn't understand that the voice she's been hearing is different from the one she's hearing now. Um, I think that Edmund Rostand must have spent much of 1899 um, using whatever the French expression is for suspension of disbelief, (laughs) because um, I've always found that really quite crazy. But in the Deaf West production, what happened was that Cyrano was signing to Christiane, who understood. And so it was still Christiane's voice that Mm -hmm. Roxanne was hearing all along. Okay, why do I bring this up? Because I do think that... um, Liberties can be taken with Cyrano. Here we were talking about Liberties with West Side Story. I think liberties can be taken with Cyrano de Bergerac um, to, to solve problems like that. And when I heard that Peter Dinklage was doing this, and after Michael Potentier told me that uh, it was his wife who had um, conceived this production, I thought, oh, I get it. It's not going to be Cyrano's nose that's going to be the problem. It's going to be the problem uh, that a man who's 
five foot four or five, uh, depending on what source you look at, um, doesn't think that a woman of so-called normal size could ever love him. But that's not the issue at all. Um, in fact, they keep on talking about Cyrano. No, they don't keep on talking. They mention it twice. This, uh, the Cyrano's nose is the problem. However, this is the first Cyrano that I've seen where there hasn't been at least an actor with a generous nose or a prosthesis. Um, this is Peter Dinklage's, you, you pardon the expression, regular nose. And um, so it makes no sense to watch him. Um, people talk about his nose being the problem when it's... A, a perfectly um, correctly sized nose for that face. So, so uh, I thought that was a little bizarre. I guess this is just another way of having non-traditional casting that the, um, the height is not supposed to matter at all. And um, so uh, there you have it. Well, all right, this is a musical version. Uh, in a manner of speaking, there aren't really quite songs in this show. There's a lot of music um, that people sing, uh, come in, come out of uh, a few lines here, a few lines there. There's no applause after um, each number because there really aren't numbers and because the director, and that's Erica Schmidt, doesn't want that. Um, that's that's not what she's interested in at all. So... Um, so really, uh, if you're looking for a genuine musical, and Lord knows there have been so many attempts, so many attempts to make a musical version out of uh, Cyrano de Bergerac. Victor Herbert tried it. Uh, Frank Wildhorn tried it. I mean, that's that's pretty much um, quite a uh, a span of uh, <laughs> years between uh, Cyrano's. But I mean, there there was one with Christopher Plummer in '73 or four. Um, he won a Tony for it, and he was terrific. Um, there was that Dutch one about, about twenty years ago, which. Um, was um, not so hot, but um, ran a while because the Dutch bunny was behind it and they won't spend it. So really, this is one that's been tried so many times. And a lot of people say that this is a play that doesn't need music in the first place because the language is so musical. And in fact, Rustan wrote it in uh, rhyming couplets. So, um, so any Cyrano musical really has a tough job of it. And um, one of the things that I've always wanted in a musical of Cyrano that I've never really got is a magnificent song for that famous nose speech at the beginning when somebody uh, says to him, you know, the character is known as the boar, by the way, B-O-R-E. Um, um, yeah, your nose is big, you know, and um, Cyrano says big, that's the best you can do. And he goes into all these uh, vivid descriptions that the guy could have used. And that should be one of the greatest songs in musical theater history. And I would have loved to have seen Stephen Sondheim try it somewhere along the way, because I think it would have been one of the, uh, a, a, a rose's turn at the beginning of the show. Um, I think it would have been sensational. Nobody's been able to do that justice. And here, that speech is totally eliminated. So is the the moment when um, Cyrano, um, who's established the fact that he he takes <laughs> no uh, garbage from anybody, um, he he's uh, another suspension of disbelief thing that he's even able to kill a hundred men alone. Um, I think that's really uh, a lot to swallow too. But anyway, we really see that he's a tempestuous guy, and when um, he finally is in the same room as Christiane, not knowing that this is the woman, uh, the, the, the man that uh, Roxanne loves. Well, um, he gets insulted by him and, and he's ready to kill him. But when he finds out that this is the man that Roxanne loves, he's not going to do that. And everybody's mystified as to why he's not um, acting the way Cyrano usually does when people insult him. And, um, and 
there's no question that Christian is quite glib in making all sorts of cracks about Cyrano's nose. And um, <laughs> that's gone too. So a lot is missing from the play and from the musical. And the other factor is I have no idea what time we're in. Um, mm. Certainly, De Guiche wears a suit uh, that is contemporary. Um, people are using expressions like okay, which I know didn't come in to the um, language until uh, the 1800s when Martin Van Buren was running for president. Literally, that's where okay came in um, because he was known as old kinderhook, okay. Um, and yet, Roxanne has a chaperone. I mean, I just have no idea what time we're in. And I think that's pretty bizarre as well. So, um, uh, Dinklage's voice is somewhere between Leonard Cohen and Barry White. Um, I, I, it bothered a lot of people. Um, I, I've talked to a lot of people who, who thought it wasn't very good. It was fine for me, um, though you have to remember I came in uh, to musical theater in the Rex Harrison era. Uh, Tony Randall, um, Maurice Evans, you know, who, who didn't have great voices. Um, I think Jasmine Cephas Jones is a, a very nicely restrained Roxanne. Um, Schmidt gave her something exceedingly dramatic to do before the final curtain, and she handles it splendidly. Um, and I think Blake Jenner is facially able to convey the two qualities that define Christian. He's handsome, but he can contort his face to show that genuine stupidity. <laughs> um, I also like Richie Coster's disease, uh, De Guiche. Um, he was made to look dull so that Ro Roxanne couldn't consider him a romantic candidate. And that's something that has changed here, too. Here, he's interested in Roxanne. That's not true in um, Cyrano de Bergerac. So, um, and Richie Costa really excels as an unappealing man who, like many of his ilk, doesn't understand how unappealing he is. I'm talking about the character now, all right? Um, so, um, and but Schmidt and the, and the songwriters uh, smartly have him eventually face reality in both dialogue and song and Coster handles that very well. So, um, so, but you know, it's, it's an odd show and uh, you have to give them a little credit for, um, trying something different in terms of the, um, musicality of it. Um, people are always looking for new forms and maybe they thought they were doing it. So, uh, the music is very pleasant by Aaron and Bryce Dessner. Um, the lyrics are awkward by uh, Matt Berninger and Karen Besser. Um, but um, the dialogue weaves in and out around them. And uh, so if you're a conventional musical lover, um, I don't think this is going to please you for that reason. And I don't think this Cyrano is going to please many people for a lot of other reasons, too. Okay, Michael, what did you think? I didn't object to the form at all. I objected to the execution. I, I, I have to say this is the most impoverished score I, I can remember. Uh, I looked up these four people, well, I mean, in their bios. And yes, two people wrote the music, Aaron Dessner and Bryce Dessner. Uh, lyrics by Matt Berninger and Karen Besser. And it turns out that what these four people have in common is that they are all involved in a indie rock band called the, the national, uh, not to be confused with a baseball team that's lately been doing really well. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, um, that is their, you know, that is their cred. And of course, not having musical theater experience does not necessarily mean that, that one cannot do it. But in this case, it seemed to me, that's what it means. I, the, the music was unbelievably 
boring, uh, repetitious in a in a bad way, uh, not in a pleasing way. And the lyrics not only did not rhyme, but frequently did not scan. Uh, just I, I couldn't quite believe the low quality of the songs, if that's the word for them that I was hearing. I, I was really quite shocked at it. Uh, I, I can't. I'm sorry, but I, I have to. I, uh, you know, in order to accurately uh, give a, give an idea of what I felt, that's that's how I have to put it. That everything is relative, and this is really absolutely on the lowest lowest end of the scale that I've ever heard anything that presented as a musical uh, in New York. Uh, so that really, really was unfortunate to me. The the adaptation, yes, uh, equal, almost equally unsuccessful. Uh, I was, I'm glad you said that about the period because I sure was confused, Peter. Uh, I mean, it's supposed to be the, the late uh, 19th century, but some of the costumes looked like that and some did not. And yes, I am completely flummoxed as to why they would do a show like this for Peter Dinklage and then still still make the the issue uh, about the nose when that's not an issue i thought there was one point where uh, where people someone was making fun of Cyrano and they they started to say a line and they paused uh, and then i think they said your appearance and I thought, oh, yeah, well, that's what this should be. But it, but meanwhile, it was like this incredible, confusing thing that they were doing where they kept talking about his nose and not about his height, which is the thing that would set him apart from others. And now, if they didn't want to make it about that, then I'm not sure why they did this show for him. I, I, I don't, I don't understand the whole reasoning of it. And so I, I think it would have been so much more powerful if they had changed it to be about that. And, and they could have obviously been very careful in the way it was phrased to not be offensive. Um, so maybe, I, I, maybe they were just so, um, so uh, worried about offensiveness that they went the safe way and, and, and as a result wound up with something that's nonsensical. But I just I just thought it was really, really unfortunate. The um, This is a production of The New Group, which I have to say their track record lately overall has been really quite poor. And this production is sadly no exception to that. Uh, of course, a lot of the cast is very good. And I, I definitely do share... Um, Peter's happiness with the performance of Blake Jenner as Christian. The only thing I would say negatively about him is he looked too modern, uh, perhaps, and his affect was too modern. But since the period was not stressed in yeah. this production, that that doesn't wasn't really an, an issue. And uh, Peter Dinklage, uh, although I, you know, in the midst of all this, all this terrible score and, and this really confused adaptation and this muddled direction he still managed to give a wonderful performance uh he um he doesn't really have necessarily the type of uh of uh older style uh flowing poetic 
speech that you normally get from Cyrano, but he does have a very, very pleasing voice and his facial expressions are so wonderful. The, the woman next to me at one point, um, he, he just did a little something with his, with his face and his eyes and it just made her, her really laugh at, at a, at a very appropriate moment. And she said something to her companion, like, Oh, his, his facial expressions are so wonderful. And I definitely agree with that. And he, his voice, um, you know, it, it is, um, it is very low, uh, but, but not unpleasant. And I think he actually could maybe have a career, um, you know, or, or, I mean, he has a career, maybe he could, (laughs) he could, uh, expand into doing, continued musical work if the right project were chosen um he might be good as um i'm just you know i'm just thinking of him as the judge in sweeney todd uh-huh <laughs> that might be a good role for him anyway uh but this for me was a was a tremendous tremendous misfire i'm sorry to say all right so that is uh cyrano new group cyrano playing it down at the daryl roth it is uh scheduled through december 22nd and we'll have a link to that in the show notes so uh, next up, Michael, you got a chance to see uh, Enchanted April, a new musical on Theater Row. Peter talked about it last week. Uh, what was your take on this? Yeah, I don't have much to add. I, I enjoyed it. I was very glad that I saw it. Uh, I love that movie so much. Um, I don't remember too much about the Broadway adaptation that we saw uh, several years ago, but I uh, I don't remember specifics of it very well, but I do remember enjoying that also. It's this wonderful story about this group of women who get together um, uh, because they want to leave London in the middle of one of the rainiest, grayest, coldest winters in history. And they just cannot stand it. So they decide to rent a uh, what, what they keep calling a castle in Italy uh, to to get some <laughs> to get some sun and and some dry some dry air and and be in beautiful surroundings for a little bit and they all have um, all these women have various issues with their with their spouses or their their lovers or the fact that they don't have lovers and so they all come together and it's a wonderful story about renewal and rebirth and what happens to them once they get into this very idyllic uh, milieu in this beautiful place in Italy. The um, I think this score was drastically more successful than the Cyrano score that I just was talking about. Uh, this is book and lyrics by Elizabeth Hansen, music and lyrics by C. Michael Perry. Um, very, very strong cast. Uh, Peter was extolling Leah Hawking, who I always enjoy. Uh, and it was really great to see her as Lottie Wilkins and Alma Cuervo. I don't think I go back as far with Alma uh-huh. as as Peter does, uh-huh. but I remember her at least from uh, "Is There Life After High School?" Oh yeah, yeah. And so I guess that was kind of at the start of her career, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, she has a beautiful voice, and she she was playing Mrs. Fisher, um, which is a really really plum role uh and a different role for uh, from what i've seen her in before but she has you know she has i guess aged into that beautifully mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um jim stanick who we, we don't see too often but but every now and then he uh, he comes back and he was wonderful as miller schwilkins um this uh production is um uh, presented by the utah lyric opera 
in association with Thunder Media Group. So it's not surprising that the voices are really extraordinary. And uh, it's being done in one of the theaters at Theater Row that I have been in um, uh, least frequently of all of the theaters in that in that complex. Uh, it's the theater where you, uh, I, I think they don't have names anymore, right? No, they don't. One, two, three, four, five. That's right. Well, this is the theater that <laughs> I don't know what number it is, but when you go up the stairs from the street level, it's the theater on your right. And it's, um, it's a nice size. It's fairly narrow, uh, but not that, not that deep. So it's, it's very intimate. And I have to say, I mean, I don't imagine that any of these theaters were necessarily designed uh, for unamplified performances. But in this case, um, it it was, the show was unamplified. And since you have these people who, um, you know, who are associated with the Utah Lyric Opera, it was such a pleasure to hear them singing unamplified and and the acoustics it turns out in this in this space anyway this particular space in theater row were absolutely wonderful i mean uh musicals tonight of course uh used to do mm-hmm. unamplified shows in the da- in the downstairs theater and and there was a similar a similar situation there but this theater really the, the um I, I referred earlier to Marty Vidnovic making the walls shake in uh, Michael Levine's studio when he was rehearsing for our show. It was a, it was kind of the same thing here. You could hear these beautiful voices reverberating um, off of the walls. Uh, the people I I mentioned already, as well as this new young talent, Peter Reed Lambert, who played Thomas Briggs. Gorgeous, focused, beautiful tenor voice. So that was a that was a great. Great pleasure, and honestly, I I'm glad I went if if only for that. But there were a lot of pleasures in the show. I think the adaptation is very strong overall. I, the problem here to me was actually a too many songs. Uh, I I felt it was a little overstuffed, and and as a result, the show was longer than it should have been, and and ideally would have been. And and there I have to really. Um, I really have to chastise them. I I, I, I double checked and I went to the, the telecharge pa- page for the show, where it says that the running time is two hours, including intermission. Well, the running time was two hours and forty minutes. So I think uh, I really kind of have a problem with that when shows are dishonest about how long they are. Uh, you know, it's it's important to some people who uh, um, either have to get home, uh, you know, to the suburbs or or uh, have to maybe be somewhere after the show. Uh, so I, I, I do wish that they hadn't done that. And, and I would advise them to, in the in the future to be more careful. But um, I really am very glad that I saw this, especially after Cyrano, because it kind of cleansed my palate. Uh, directed by Alice Jankel, by the way. And um, yes, I'm, I'm definitely going to keep a, a, an eye out for future productions from the Utah Lyric Opera. Uh, Michael, you're quite right uh, about the running time because I had promised Lynn Henderson that I'd go see her cabaret act at uh, Don't Tell Mama, and I, I couldn't because it was a half hour longer. So yeah. your point is well taken. Um, you know, I, so I thought, I thought that was really um, unfortunate that they um, – who knows? Maybe they thought they were cutting it. Maybe it's a typo. Um, it's entirely possible. But yeah. yes, uh, be duly warned that if you're the type of person who checks running times, and I know I do. 
um, there is uh, an error there. Uh, we'll say that. Yes. Sometimes when you're just so enchanted with a show, it just goes <laughs> on and on. <laughs> so, Peter. Yeah? You got a chance to get to the new Broadway musical, Tina, the Tina Turner musical, um, over at the Lund. So tell us about this. Yes. Well, this is uh, a different Warren report uh, than the one that came out uh, many moons ago, uh, because we're talking about Adrienne Warren, who uh, many might remember from uh, the Shuffle Along musical of a couple of years ago. Uh, she got a Tony nomination for it. I don't think this that will be her last Tony nomination. I think there's another one in her future, <laughs> and conceivably a win for that matter. Uh, what I found most interesting is the moment the curtain went up, uh, a woman uh, is seen on stage with her back to us, and uh, everybody starts yelling and cheering and moving it up. It's clearly supposed to be Tina Turner. You can tell from that uh, hairdo, that wild and woolly hairdo that uh, became her trademark. So she hasn't even done anything yet. And what, what the people are applauding, of course, is Tina Turner, not Adrian Warren. For that matter, we don't even know if that is Adrian Warren. Uh, it might be some sort of stand-in, you know, because she doesn't have to do anything. Um, she just has to sit there. But uh, immediately, the uh, the people are on her side. Uh, but uh, Warren will make good by singing some of those famous songs that Tina Turner sang, River Deep, Mountain High, Better Be Good to Me, and uh, needless to say, What's Love Got to Do With It? So uh, so they really go crazy for her, um, as just as, <laughs> as crazy as they did uh, when the curtain rose. But at the end of the show, they go crazier still, needless to say, because this is a very, very difficult role to uh, happen, which is why she only does six performances a week. Be, be a prize of that um the matinees i believe the performances she she will not do um during the week um but um i i i'd like to in fact go back and um see the uh standby understudy um because um, it would be very uh, interesting to see if there's a, a tremendous difference uh, between the two. So many times people in that position just replicate the performance. And um, in that, uh, I think a lot of people would like this performance replicated if they are seeing the... Uh the show on a matinee day. Well, anyway, um, I'm I'm a little confused by the credit for the book because um, it's uh, Katori Hall with Frank Ketelar and Keys Prince. And um, I, I don't do either of you know if this is a case where Ketelar and Prince started it, and um, uh, Katori Hall was asked to come in. And um, I have I, re- I recently read that that is the case. Okay, I, I had a feeling that was. That's usually what this credit means. So anyway, um, but you know these. These are people who had to find a way of turning a famous entertainer's story into an entertainment. And, you know, here we are. It's So many of these stories are not just rags to riches. They're rags to riches to rags to riches again. And um, this is one of those, too. It bears a striking resemblance to the share show um, and a bit of a resemblance to the summer show uh, that centered on Donna Summer. But, you know, maybe those shows made a mistake in having three people play um, the character of Donna Summer and uh, Cher, because um, it occurred to me that during watching this show, by having one person play the role, well, to be fair, there is uh, uh, scenes of her childhood where a a little kid plays it, but we're used to that type of thing, even in Once on this Island, that happens. But, you know, I wonder if you just can't bond with a character if indeed um, three people are playing her, because she becomes more of a symbol than a character. Well, here it becomes a character, and 
uh, we do see um, the, uh, the the humble beginnings. And by the way, the show is designed humbly. Uh, there are so many flats that fl- uh, just slide in that look like uh, they were bought from Home Depot for about $150. So it's not an elaborate production. And one of the reasons is they want to save the, the sparkles for the end uh, where we have a mini concert uh, by Tina Turner. But anyway, um, she starts out, of course, very poor and um, her parents don't get along at all. And um, the father is not above hitting his wife. And finally, she leaves. What's really interesting is she makes a Sophie's choice. She takes her older daughter with her, but leaves um, little Anna Mae behind. Anna Mae will soon, well, not soon, but will become Tina Turner. So, um, so she's left with her father, who finally abandons her, too, and leaves her with a grandmother. And luckily, the grandmother, wonderfully played by Myra Lucretia Taylor, uh, the grandmother is not only nice to her, as grandparents usually are to their grandchildren. I mean, grandparents are usually nicer to children, their grandchildren than parents are to their children. Um, but she believes in her, and she believes in her voice. And she really gives her the, the courage um, to maybe go out and try this. And, of course, she does go out and try it, and she meets Ike Turner, uh, who turns her to Tina Turner even before they're married. He takes the liberty of changing her last name, and believe me, that won't be the only liberty he takes with her. So, you know, Broadway theater goers who, um, who really see every show are going to find a lot of similarities with uh, the Cher show, for better or worse, um, because we, here we have another manipulative man who is going to call the shots. Now, Sonny Bono, of course, did it financially. He was the one who um, signed this uh, share. Just just sign it. Don't worry about it. I'm taking care of everything. And that was um, the, the extent to his abuse, apparently. But, but, uh, here, um, Ike Turner um, is going to replicate the sins of the father and, um, and hit her, and hit her, and hit her, and hit her. You are going to have to witness this over and over again, and many people are not going to be able to stomach this. This is going to be a very um, unpleasant thing to watch this happen time and time and time and time again. So it takes a long time before um, Tina decides that she's had enough. And watching that is very, very painful. And you might say to yourself, well, you know, I wish she could do what her mother did, who got hit and then left. Of course, we don't know if the mother's uh, was being hit for the first time or the 51st time. We don't. But I do think a, a case can be made. I think Katori Hall or whoever wrote it um, – <clears throat> By setting up that scene with the mother, it's almost as if it gives a reason for Tina Turner to be inured to this, that she has seen this in her childhood and maybe expects that husbands hit wives. I'm not validating this in any way, but I am saying that perhaps when you have to write a story like this, maybe that setup scene was purposely set up in that way. And I think that may very well be the case. Musicals are famous for having second act trouble, but I'll tell you, there's a scene in the second act that is so powerful where I'm only going to say that Tina Turner meets her two adversaries. I'm not going to say anything more about it, but it's a very powerful scene, the best written scene in the show. So um, yeah, it's always so hard 
when you have to follow a template of these uh, stories of, of entertainers. And the real reason, of course, is to hear the music and uh, because Adrienne Warren is so wonderful in delivering those songs, and she's a good actress, too. Um, this um, it turns out to be uh, a reasonably enjoyable experience. And um, But I, I wish that there would be an explanation why um, Tina Turner has retained um, Ike Turner's name. And you might say, well, she was known by that. Yeah, but I mean, you think about entertainers like Farrah Fawcett, who became Farrah Fawcett Majors for a while, and then became Farrah Fawcett again. Uh, or Roseanne, who be- Roseanne Barr, Roseanne Arnold, then Roseanne, you know, or, or Prince, who changed his, not only his name, but made it into a symbol. Um, you know, I think if, if Tina Turner had become Tina Bullock, uh, which was her original name, I don't think her fans would have said, gee, uh, what happened to Tina Turner? I think they would have understood. So I'm very confused as to why um, women in this situation, um, frankly, my ex-wife does it too. She still uses the name Felicia after all these years, which is amazing to me, and I, I've never understood why. But um, I don't know why these women don't reclaim their last names when uh, they get divorced, especially from um, a, a husband who's been terrible uh, to her, as Tina Turner's husband was, or at least this is her side of the story. I know that Ike T- uh, Turner, um, as a result of that movie of 1993, What's Love Got to Do With It, uh, certainly had issues and said, it's not true, it's not true. And as we all know, there's his story, her story, and the truth. Um, mm-hmm. You know, So who who knows what's really going on? But, um, but because Tina Turner has had a better career than Ike Turner, um, <laughs> she gets to tell her story and gets it heard um, more than Ike's does. So, um, so I, I, I found this... Um, to be on the same level as uh, the share show and the summer show and take what you will from that. Um, um, I won't be surprised if it turns out to run as modestly as those two shows did. And you might say, well, wait a minute. What about that show? Beautiful. I mean, that, that ran a long time. Yeah. But you know, there, um, what was going on is that, um, Carol King was fighting the system and it wasn't the same thing as being abused. Um, Mm -hmm. of course, you know, any, any songwriter who's starting out feels abused when, you know, don't call us, we'll call you or, um, you know, there's not a tune you can hum or whatever. Um, but it's not the same type of abuse. And as a result, Watching her struggle against the system is very different than watching these people struggle against men and they should know better. Or we, at least from our sensibilities, they feel that they should know better. So um, I think that's the difference why Beautiful succeeded and the Cher show in summer did not succeed. And we'll see what happens to Tina. The wonderful thing about Tina, of course, again, is Adrian Warren, that um, she is delivering the Sarko performance. And really, if Stephanie J. Block can win a Tony uh, for playing one third of share. And believe me, I thought she deserved it. I thought she was terrific. Um, I think that Adrian Warren maybe should get three Tonys for playing uh, the role uh, at the beginning of the career, the middle and um, the continuation of the career. Well, I haven't seen Tina yet, but I will say that Adrian Warren was just wonderful in Shuffle Along. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I mean, I'm sure many of us wish that show had lasted longer uh, so mm-hmm. more people could have seen it. And but an I, album. Well, yeah, that too. But yeah, she, yeah, exactly. So there's not much maybe um, evidence of that uh, going forward. Uh, but it really, she really was wonderful in that. So I'm 
looking forward to to this if 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 for no other reason than to see her in a lead role. Mm. <laughs> All right. So yeah, the uh the general consensus out of this is go to see it for Adrian Warren and you know that's that's always concerning when you, people are going to see a specific uh actor not bad for the actor but bad for the show because the specific actor can't do it forever unless you're doing perfect crime and in this case can't do it uh, or doesn't chooses not to do it eight a week you know i I actually i meant to ask about that i i guess they really have to um you know take a risk when they do this when when uh a star gets fabulous fabulous you know reviews like that and the event is all it becomes mostly about the star and you only got her six a week. Um, I guess they just have to count on the fact that um, some people, you know, won't read the reviews and, and Mm -hmm. and won't. uh, And then maybe others will buy tickets for the other performances simply because they can't get, get into the, uh, the ones with Adrian Warren. Now, of course, for all I know, the understudy may be just as good Mm -hmm. or or conceivably even better, but Mm -hmm. you, Mm -hmm. but it's all about, you know, when when the attention is so much on, on the specific performer, that's um, something that I'm I'm sure producers have to be very very wary about. So something we've talked about before is that this is going to come to as a shock to to a lot of people is that some people aren't as passionate about Broadway as we are. Right, which is <laughs> like ninety nine percent of the population. <laughs> Go on, and they. Uh, they might not um uh they might not you know read the reviews and mm-hmm. say that they sure. have to see Adrian Warren they might mm-hmm. they might actually buy a ticket to a matinee and think they saw Adrian Warren oh absolutely and and then you know uh, as we've talked about before uh with the Yeston Coppet Phantom people think that they saw mm-hmm. the Lloyd Webber Phantom all right so let's move on uh, next up, Michael, as you mentioned, teased us at the very top of the show. You saw Melissa Erico at 54 Below. So tell us more about that. Yes, she did a wonderful show called An Even Grander Affair, um, as in Michel Legrand, uh, for the past three nights, Thursday, Friday, Saturday at Feinstein's 54 Below. And it was really wonderful. I uh, going back to actually uh, referencing what I said earlier about running time. Uh, she, this this was one of the longest shows I've seen there, and they're really supposed to have a a kind of a strict seventy five minute uh, limit. But she 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 did um, about a half hour longer than that. But I will have to say, in this case, I, I couldn't believe it when. Uh, when I actually looked at my at my phone <laughs> at the uh, end of the show, uh, uh, I, I did not. It did not feel like uh, that it was anywhere near that long because it was so delightful. In addition to her beautiful singing of basically every wonderful song ever, hit that Michelle Legrand ever wrote, a, a, among others, um, her patter was so wonderful and so charming uh, because she really has a very interesting story or many, many interesting stories about him. Uh, she first worked with him on the Broadway show Amour, the Broadway musical Amour, which uh, was a, a latter-day uh, project that, for him and 
he and unfortunately that show was was not a a long runner um and again not, not even necessarily a critical success but it was i was trying to think of the, the word for it the other day is is boutique musical is that a good is that a sure, good why term not? Yeah, yeah maybe that has a, a somewhat negative uh, connotation of being too arty or whatever it was a, a beautiful intimate gentle lovely romantic story and uh you know i don't I, I honestly i think maybe even back in the day broadway wouldn't have been the place for it i mean it's even more gentle and lyrical and and sweet than she loves me <laughs> uh it just uh just a, a very special musical anyway and, and typically beautiful michelle legrand music he uh he wrote so many wonderful things, so many, many beautiful, wonderful songs over the years for films and standalone songs, et cetera, et cetera. I, I alluded earlier to – this is so fascinating. When I was talking about the music of Cyrano, I, I mentioned how repetitious it was in a bad way. Well, I think Michelle Legrand's music is repetitious in the most beautiful way possible. Uh, and also, if you analyze it, it's it's incredible. The melodies are really quite simple. And for that matter, the harmonies really aren't that complex either. But he he just writes these songs that with melodies that sound like they've always existed because they're so beautiful and simple and uh, and he does wonderful things with um going up melodies that go up the scale and then back down again and and the architecture of his songs is 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 really gorgeous and he also had the benefit of working with um wonderful lyricists throughout his career most frequently um the incredible Alan and Marilyn Bergman uh, Melissa sang many of many of the songs that they wrote together and she had her amazing musical team, Ted Firth as pianist, musical director, really one of the best in the business. I feel like he um, is behind the piano uh, for every other show I've seen lately. And that that's fine with me because it doesn't get better than that. And these other two amazing guys, the bassist, David Fink, um, guitar, Pete Smith, uh, drums, Mark McLean. Uh, it was really a, a, a special evening. And the music is so so gorgeous there um uh, this is largely based on a uh, one of the projects that the that michelle and melissa did after amour was an album of michelle's songs at which she alluded to many times and that's a beautiful gorgeous album one thing she didn't mention about it uh, on, on this occasion is that it was one of those things where uh, the orchestra was recorded separately from the vocals uh because uh, i don't remember the exact details but the orchestra was recorded in europe uh i, I think partly because that's where michelle lived and also because it's cheaper there mm-hmm. um so they recorded it and then she recorded her vocals separately uh but you wouldn't know it from listening to um to the album it, it's it's very cohesive and and to have a, a, a incredibly gorgeous full orchestra like that backing her beautiful voice is just absolute heaven uh one of the one of the hits of her show at 54 below was uh that she had um uh she had tapes of her 
working with Michel Legrand, and she played um, one of them and sang along with him, and that was a really special moment. It was like his; it really made it seem that his spirit. Um, and presence were right there in the room with us. So it was a sold out show and I'm sure the other two performances were as well. And it was a great success and I was very, very happy to be there. All right. So, uh, Michael, did you mention if, uh, you have or are going to review, uh, Melissa's album on castalbumreviews.com? <laughs> well, actually, uh, castalbumreviews.com is limited only to, recordings of musicals ah, even but, though uh, she touches on the lebron <laughs> stuff uh but there is a, a review of a more in there already i'm sure i i didn't write it but uh i think actually matthew murray wrote it he um, he loved that show he and did and presumably yeah, yeah. still does yeah that was uh, one of his all-time favorite musicals um uh, brainchild does that name mean anything to you um, I think so. It was a musical in the late '70s that I closed in Philadelphia, um, and um, Michelle Legrand wrote the music for that, I believe. So nothing from Brainchild in this show. Uh, I don't think so. Okay. I, I don't. I don't recall that name being. But there was. Um, there were really several special, very special items in it, including uh, one of the last. Well, actually, uh, Melissa said the last song that Michelle wrote with the Bergmans uh, that was fairly recently sent to her by Marilyn Bergman. Uh, so that and it's completely unpublished and unavailable so that you're not going to hear that anywhere else. That was a really um, that was kind of in the 11 o'clock spot. And it was quite fabulous for the audience to be able to experience that. Okay, um, I just grabbed my copy of Broadway Bound um, by William Torbett Leonard, which is mm -hmm. a guide to shows that died a morning. That's the subtitle. And Brainchild uh, was um, a 1974 musical uh, directed by Maxine Klein and written by Maxine Klein. She was a, um, a very uh, well-regarded professor at Boston University. Music, Michelle Legrand, lyrics, Hal David. Um, wow. <laughs> And here's the the kicker, produced by Adela Holzer. Ah, <laughs> Adela Holzer. Um, one of my favorite um, obscure facts is the fact that one of my most faithful readers' mother shared a jail cell with Adela Adela Holzer. So um, <laughs> anyway, um, yes, that might have been one of the reasons why the show didn't come in because um, Adela had a, a very checkered track record. So um, so that might be something worth investigating. Uh, you know, as we all know, old musicals never die and they don't even necessarily fade away. They um, sometimes come back years later. But, you know, a score by Michelle Legrand and Hal David, that sounds interesting to me, doesn't it to you? Oh, yeah. Looking over this song list, um, I'm thinking, you know, what would be a great project for someone? Maybe a, a stage version of Yentl with the songs that Michelle Legrand and mm -hmm. the Bergmans wrote for the movie. I realize that it's not a real musical in the sense that, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. first of all, the number of songs and also yeah. their uh, most of them are in, or all of them are, I guess, interior monologues. But I think that would be fine to do it with just those songs uh, and sung and presented in the same way. I, I think that story is really timeless. And I know there have been stage versions of Yentl, including one with Tova Felcher years ago. It was ago. phenomenal. Yeah. Phenomenal in it. Yeah. Phenomenal. <laughs> 
I found an article from the New York Times in 1974 about Brainchild. Uh, ah. And uh, there's a very funny thing, uh, line in here that I think should be a lyric, uh, if it uh, isn't already. It says, all uh -huh. teachers get married on December 24th. That's because they have the next week off. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put a link to that uh, to that story in the New York Times in the show notes as well. <laughs> so to wrap up this morning's reviews, Peter, you got over to MCC to see uh, Seared, the uh, March von Stupenable uh, play. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, well, directed by directed by Martz, but yes. uh, written by Teresa Rebeck, um, Emmy Award nominee. So, tell us about this. I sure will, because I think it's tremendous beyond belief. Um, <clears throat> and I do suspect that we're going to see uh, seared on Broadway. I ideally see it at the Golden Theater after Slave Play closes. Um, but this is a very worthwhile effort, very funny, very moving. Uh, and who can ask for anything more than that? So uh, Raul Esparza is in it. Phenomenal performance, terrific performance as uh, a chef who is very much into what he does. He's very, very meticulous, uh, has terrifically high standards. We see him cook something that I'm sure most people would think is delicious, and he throws it right away because it's just not good enough. Well, um, he does have um, issues uh, with his um, partner in this restaurant. Um, Mike is his name, played by David Mason. Very well done, too, because um, Mike has put up the money for this restaurant. So he's the money. And um, Raul's uh, character, Harry, is the artist. And so what we have here is the standard um, difficulties between art and commerce and uh, both make good cases for what they're doing and you can't argue with the fact that if you don't have the money um, nothing's going to happen and you have to admit that if you don't have the food nothing's going to happen so each of these two people are really dependent on each other and we will see who will emerge victorious who will get his way will indeed um, the money man say hey you know we, we should do different things and one of the things he does which isn't so nice is that he brings in a consultant phenomenally played by Krista Rodriguez. Terrific. Um, here's a, a very centered woman, a businesswoman who comes in and always delivers bad news with a smile and always minimizes any objections that everything can be worked out. There's no problem, uh, even though there are plenty of problems. But she feels by glossing over things that people won't notice that there um, <laughs> that there's a significant problem by minimizing. She fully expects that everybody will agree with her. It's not that simple, but uh, she doesn't see herself into the situation. Um, there is a relationship um, that is hard to swallow here, I will admit, but um, I will leave it at that. I don't want to give too much away. But but um, uh, there's a fourth character as well, and that's Rodney, uh, again, wonderfully played by Trey Davis, really. Um, you know, uh, Morris von Stuthbabel knows how to cast and knows how to get great performances out of his people because all four of them are splendid. So um, he's uh, the waiter in the, um, in, in the club, uh, the restaurant, and um, he has a lot to say and a lot to do, as it turns out. So, um, again, I'm not at all interested in giving too much away, but I will tell you it's 
It's tremendously funny. It's tremendously moving. It's easily, easily, easily Teresa Rebecca's best work. Um, and I cannot imagine this not moving. Now, of course, I've been wrong before and will be again, and this may be a case of it. But um, if any producers are listening and are looking for their next um, important project that will both make people laugh and make people think, this is the play to go after. So get over there to MCC at their new theater uh, on 10th Avenue and 52nd Street. A tremendously rewarding experience. And uh, you might even enjoy the smells that come from the kitchen because Raul has to do genuine cooking. Oh, there was a wonderful moment. I'm <laughs> telling you, you can really tell who the foodies are in the audience because at one point, um, Raul uses a knife that uh, the Christa Rodriguez character, um, her name is Emily, um, says, this is a better knife for you to use. And of course, he's very skeptical that she would know anything. I mean, because he's the artist, he's the expert. Um, and when he uses the knife... It was so interesting to hear so many people go, hmm. You know, they could tell from the way he cut, uh, I think it was an onion or something like that. Um, he, they could tell from the way that that knife cut that this was an extra special night. And uh, that was really something to hear uh, because, you know, I don't cook at all. And so I, that moment was lost <laughs> on me. <laughs> you know how much I don't cook? I actually had my oven um, <laughs> disconnected from gas and that's where I store important papers. And I mean that. Um, so, uh, so as a result, um, it, it's not just for foodies. Um, we, we all need food, of course. And I think uh, if you're a theater going, you will need Seared, a very good title for this play, too, as well. A, a total success on every level. Peter, did you mention the Golden uh, specifically just because you uh, know that or you think that uh, uh, Slave Play won't be around much anymore? Or Well, um, I doesn't Slave Play have a closing notice? I think it's, uh, uh, I think it's a limited it, run. Yeah, yeah, that's why. Yeah, I that's so. yeah. I wasn't sure, uh, that, I, but that's what that's why you. I was just wondering why you picked that theater in particular. Yeah, I do, I do believe that um, it is a limited run. So right. um, so that's why um, checking right. Yeah, they're closing January nineteenth. Yeah. So so um, under those circumstances, um, the golden will be free, and um, I hope it's not. I hope Seared does come in. I haven't seen Seared yet. I'm really – well, now I'm looking forward to it even more. I had actually asked Raul to be in our cast album show, and he I think he really would have done it, but he said um, – yeah. but oh. actually Seared got extended. Mm -hmm. um, and it was originally supposed to close uh, already, I think. Uh, and he said – he did say that even though it's – uh, not a musical. It's a very vocally demanding role. Oh, so sure he would want to like really come and sing a song after doing that. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. I, I, I've heard wonderful, wonderful things in addition to your report. So I'm just looking forward to it so much. Mm -hmm. So that's over at MCC's new theater complex and the wrong man is playing in the other theater. And despite the not great reviews that the wrong man had there's also a lot of chatter about that transferring didn't that get i actually didn't read uh, um many reviews i think only one or two wasn't it was it very mixed yeah yeah some people really love it though some people really love lots of shows <laughs> <laughs> i mean uh yeah okay well we'll see what happens but uh you know, good kickoff for MCC's new theaters. 
uh, and we'll see what happens there. So that wraps it up for this morning. Before we get on to the trivia question, I'd like to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of broadwayvideo.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us on Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to get us. iHeartRadio plays us. Tune in, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere that you can listen to find our podcasts you will find Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found in the show notes at broadwayradio.com, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today, including that New York Times article and various different things. The Deaf West Cyrano, I found a great thing over at the uh, Los Angeles Times from 2012. So check out the show notes as well. So Peter, what is the question for this week? What do these shows have in common? Call me Madam, Mr. President, Follies, Godspell, Over Here, Starting Here, Starting Now, Ain't Misbehaving, and A Class Act. All right. If you have an answer to that, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right path. So on behalf of Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radios this week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. It's time to dress.